Good morning, everybody. Anna's going to start getting everybody involved in what we're doing here. We're so excited to have you this morning on our Bible study. This is our last one uh, for this little set going through and walking through Ephesians. We're going to be at the end of chapter two, but we're glad you're here. And it's always great to see your smiling face. Hey, Krista. This is, we got to smile when it's like all rainy, gloomy out here. It's like a, my windows, I keep looking out my window. I'm like, okay, sunshine. Come on. Come on, sunshine. We, we I were know. a little bit. Uh, I was thinking about something this week. I, um, I did a post recently on uh, some, uh, Christine Kane, who I, I consider a digital mentor. And I said, you know, she, I've never met her before. I, she's just somebody who's influenced me. And then I thought about how many people that I are in kind of my life, like real up close and personal and have influenced me. So my question for all of us that are tuning in is who is a leader who has spoken into your life, maybe called out your gifts, you've been able to, whether they're the digital mentor that you, you know, look up to or has spoken into your life because you've uh, heard their content and, or someone who is like up close and personal, like definitely Krista, you're that in my life. I, I have uh, other people as well that are just, they're my go-to folks that are like, they just actually love on me and have poured into me. And so I wanted to just, throw that question out there. Who are people that have, like, what is their name? Who is that person? So throw up their name. Um, as Krista starts uh, teaching through here, through Ephesians, if you have questions, put that in the chat too, and we'll have some time at the very end to ask you those questions, Krista. Yeah, so well, you thank you. All right, here we go. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today, but I always say that, you know, one of the things I always say when I teach Sunday school is I can't believe I get to teach this lesson to you today. It is the most exciting. And of course, somebody inevitably puts up their hand and goes, but Mrs. Penner, you said that last time. And I'm like, well, yeah, I did because it's all exciting. So here we are together this morning. Welcome. I thank you for joining in. If you're here alive, here we are together. If you're watching this later, uh, we say welcome to you also. Pray that God will give you a truth, a word out of his word today that's just going to push you forward in the ministry that you're called to. So we are again going into the book of Ephesians. I'm just going to stop here and invite you to join me in prayer as we invite the Holy Spirit to work us over as we dive into the scripture. So Lord, today, I just thank you for your word. I thank you uh, that we can meet together in this format online. And I pray for every person joining us today that you would give them a word, that you would give them a deeper understanding of who you are and that you would spur them on in the calling in their lives. I thank you for the Apostle Paul for his tenacity in preaching the scripture uh, for the radical change that he embraced in his life when he met you. And I pray that we would be just as radical as the Apostle Paul as we embrace the truth of our salvation, the redemption of our souls through the blood of Christ. As we look at this passage this morning, Father, I pray that we would see the depth of it. So we thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray all of this. Amen. So as we get started here this morning, just want to give you a little bit of a reminder of what we looked at last week. 
We ended last week with Paul's reminder. Uh, it says there in, in chapter two, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And last week, we looked at the intentionality of Paul's care for these young believers. He was thankful for them. He prayed that they would have the eyes of their hearts open. And we looked into that that understanding that we got through looking at the Latin and looking at what Sir Francis Bacon had to say about this. And this eyes of your heart open, this prayer was a prayer for increased wisdom and revelation. And this was followed by a reminder of where they had been before Christ. And now this reminder puts a sharp, and how that, that reminder puts a sharp focus on the grace that had been extended to them. And all of this gives us a window into how Paul cared for the people that he led. He verbalized his thankfulness for them. He prayed for increased capacity for them. And then he talked with them about cultivating this culture of grace. And now again, in our passage today, he launches into a reminder. And now what I want you to know as we look through this passage is that I've got the word remember highlighted throughout it. And I've taken the liberty of adding in brackets some more uh, remembers because the whole passage is actually about a reminder. It's just that Paul just doesn't keep saying, remember, remember, remember. But I decided to put it in for a little bit of emphasis because of where we're going in the lesson today. So let's read what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. If you have your Bibles, look at it there, underline, uh, highlight, uh, whatever it is, however it is you want to remember. And as you learn, know that I'm sending out notes. Uh, that you will get in the next couple of days, outlining some of the big rocks that we're going to push this morning. But let's read his word. It says in verse 11, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh of hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Remember, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and remember, you were strangers to the covenant of promise. Remember, having no hope, and remember, you were without God in the world. But now, remember, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then it goes on, he says, for he himself is our peace, speaking of Christ, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace and might reconcile to us both to, to reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. 
Christ Jesus himself being the chief, the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. So there's a few things that I want to bring to your attention as we read, as we've read through this passage of scripture. There's these, these poignant reminders that Paul is giving to them. He's saying, remember, you were uncircumcised. Remember, you were separated from Christ. Remember, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Remember, you were strangers to the covenant of promise. Remember, you were without hope. And remember, you were without God in the world. But then he says to them, that's where you were. But now this is where you are. Your new reality is this. In Christ Jesus, you were far off, but now you are near by his blood. Remember, he, meaning Jesus, is our peace. Remember that he has made us one by breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Remember, he abolished the law of commandments that were expressed in rituals and legislation. Remember, he created one new man in place of two. And remember that he made peace by reconciling us to God through the cross. And remember, this is so interesting. He says it again. He killed hostility. And then it says, and he preached peace. And he gave us access to the Father through the same Holy Spirit. And because this is true, we have gone from being aliens to being citizens. So what we're looking at here is this idea of remembering that you were what one time separated from Christ. And the first leadership point that I want us to see in this passage of scripture, the thing that we're going to dwell on here for a few minutes, is the idea that as a leader, you are to foster a culture of belonging. Remember in our first uh, Bible study together, I talked about this idea of culture being from the Latin word colore, which means to cultivate. You are to foster, you are to build, you are to care for and protect this idea of belonging with the people that you lead. Paul is building the case right in this passage of scripture for this culture of belonging. And he builds this through the letter of Ephesians to the Ephesians. And he's expressing it particularly in this passage with an understanding that Safety is the foundation upon which a strong, enduring culture is built. Remember, it says in here that Jesus brought you near by the blood of the cross. He's saying to them, he is our peace. It's because of what he's done for us that we have peace, that we have safety, that we have belonging. You know, when you ask people who are part of highly successful groups, to describe their relationship with one another. You think about your team, you think about the culture within your church, the culture within your work environment. If you're in a, if you're in a highly successful work environment, uh, what, what research is telling us is that people tend to choose the same word to describe what their team feels like. And they don't use words like friends or team or tribe to describe uh, what they experience they actually use the word family. And I, th that was, that was a, a sharp point for me to look at because in where I work, I work for Fellowship Pacific. We serve 
about 100 churches across British Columbia. We talk about ourselves as the fellowship family. And indeed, one of my, my coworkers, uh, whom I love so much, she's no longer with us, but she used to leave the office every day. And as she was walking out the door, she would say, bye, fellowship family. And we would all say, bye, Lara, see you tomorrow. We, I just loved that she thought about working with us as being family. You know, this term uh, strongly affirms a sense of belonging for us. And in the book, The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle, the author makes the case for effective leadership through the intentional development of a culture of belonging. And we see Paul sending that message here, these belonging cues in the statements that he makes in this letter. It's seen throughout the book, and particularly in this passage, we have some clear indicators that we're going to dive into today. Um, but what I want you to know is that this is what belonging cues look like. Uh, they, there's three basic qualities that we look at. There's an energy to belonging cues, which really talks about the, the exchange, the investment in the exchange between two parties. This is, you, you get a sense of belonging in the indescribable connection that you make with another person. We see belonging cues show up when there's individualization. In other words, you are seen and you are heard as the unique individual that you are, that you are appreciated for the gifts that you bring to the table. And you're seeing, you feel that you belong and you feel a belonging cue when there's a future orientation. And this really talks about how this is where we are, but this is where we're going and we are in this together. So these are the belonging cues that we see Paul giving to these early believers in the city of Ephesus. So this is where we see them. And I want to go through this with you because I think it's so fascinating that we see these cues right here in the scripture. So in verse 12, Paul says to them, you are far away, but now you are near. This is really about, really, it's really about energy and individualization. It's about saying you're important and you were over there, but you needed to come and you needed to be with us. Then in verse 14, he talks about the dividing wall of hostility being gone. And this is a, this, there's energy in this statement. They're saying we, we actually, we actually worked hard and there was an energy that went into making sure that this wall came down. There's an action to this statement. Then he says in, 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 in verse 15, he talks about the special rules, the ordinances that were really for a special group, they no longer apply. In other words, you dear people that are in Ephesus, you need to know that you might not have grown up with the word Jewish on your driver's license, but it doesn't matter anymore. You belong with us. You have been brought in with us. Two have become one. And that's the next thing that we see in verse, uh, in verse 15. We actually have this idea that we move away from being two groups of people to being one group of people. And there's an energy that happens in this. And then our future orientation is seen in verses 16 and verses 19. We all have access to God through Jesus. No longer are you aliens, but you have access. And this access to God through Jesus is for your future. It's where you're going. And we are all citizens, no longer strangers, together in Christ Jesus. All of these cues 
that we see in this passage of scripture, they add up to one message. And the message is simply, hey, people at Ephesus, hey, you new believers, you need to know that you are safe here. You know, these cues that we see in the scripture, the cues that we give to our teams in the context of creating this culture of belonging that we're talking about here, this, these cues seek to notify our ever vigilant brains that we can just stop worrying about the danger of being left out and we can shift into connection mode or what we call psychological safety. This is about helping people just take a deep breath, sit back and go, I belong here so I can flourish here because we are going into the future together. Amy Edmondson, a professor at Harvard University, puts it this way. She says, we have a place in our brains that's always worried about what people will think of us, especially higher ups. That's why this is so important when we think about it in the context of leading people. There oftentimes feels like there's a hierarchy, even though we work hard to, to not have that hierarchy in place. People are looking up to us. They're looking to see that they belong. So there's, people are worried about um, what we will think of them, especially higher ups. As far as our brain is concerned, if our social system rejects us, we could die. That's how we're hardwired. God in his infinite wisdom built us with a, with a desire to belong. Our unconscious brains are deeply obsessed with belonging and only, have a mere, and only having a mere hint of it is not enough. We are built to require lots and lots of signals over and over and over again. This is why a sense of belonging is easy to destroy and so difficult to build up again. So here in this passage, we have Paul explaining to them. He's saying, remember, you were far away and now look where you are. You, were, you stepped from darkness into light. You were strangers and now you're family. There was a wall between us and now it's gone. And this is your new real-time normal because it is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He is our cornerstone. There is no need to worry about your status, people. It is secure in Christ. He is your foundation. In the context of your leadership, this idea of, of, of talking about belonging, so often we make the mistakes of saying in the meeting, you belong here, you're safe here, uh, we have a future together, it's all good, you matter. And then nothing else comes out of our mouth until the next meeting, which might be three months away. And the point that I want you to remember from this is that these belonging cues, we need to hear them over and over and over again. And we get the example of that right out of the scripture. We see Paul doing this because if we go right back to the beginning of Ephesians and we start looking for these belonging cues through Ephesians 1 and into Ephesians 2, we say Paul giving Paul is really giving a, a variation on the theme of belonging through the entire passage. But bigger than that, as we look at the, at the canon of scripture, we go back to Genesis. And we see woven throughout the entire word of God, this concept and idea that we are to belong to him, that he has us under the shadow of his wing, that we, he's the rock upon which we stand. 
He's the rock that we cling to. This idea of belonging is so important for us. And Paul is reiterating it here. And of course, it's cemented for us by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 3, 13, 8, the statement, Christ, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This statement provides safety for us because it speaks to our present need and our future orientation. You know, we need to remind the people that we lead that we're family, that that they need to know that they're safe with us. They need to know that there's a future with us. You know, when I read this information out of Daniel Coyle's book, and I thought about it in the context of ministry and church, I thought, man, what would it look like for people to come together and feel safe? What would happen if people felt like that? And I want you to put it into the framework of times in your own life when you haven't felt safe when you haven't felt seen, when you haven't felt heard, when you're not sure that there's a future with the people that you're with, it plummets you into a, a place of fear. And we're gonna see that contrasted as we look at the second point this morning that we're going to, that we're going to touch on. And that, that second point is where Paul says to us, he says, for he himself is our peace. And the second layer that we look at this morning is that leaders seek peace. Leaders foster a culture of belonging and leaders seek peace. And the reason we seek peace is because right in this passage of scripture, Paul lays it out for us. He says of Jesus Christ, he says, he is our peace. He made peace and he preached peace to us. You know, when he talks about, this passage talks about, the, the, and makes the, Paul makes the statement that he is our peace. This word in the original language, this idea of peace that we see here in Ephesians, has with it the understanding of social healing. Social healing. This is not a mere statement about having a peaceful cup of tea in your house on a rainy day like it is today. This is, the this is a proclamation that Jesus truly came to unify us, to give us safety and to establish belonging. He did this through social healing. And social healing begins when we see that we are not two or three or four or 10 kinds of people. We are one. And I thought it was so timely that we would be looking at this today. Because right now, this message is so poignant for us. Our social media feeds are ripe with the message that we are to support our black brothers and sisters. And yes, we need to do that. But I want you to see from this passage of scripture that we're reminded that this is not a new war. That this war has been raging since the dawn of sin in this world. That unity comes at a cost. You see, when he talks about being our peace, this is what he told his disciples uh, in John 14. Jesus said to, to his disciples, he said, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, 
do I give to you? No, he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, Jesus' peace supersedes fear. And the word peace that we see in this passage of scripture that Jesus, where Jesus is saying to them, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. No, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. This peace is freedom from worry. Oh man, do we need to hear that. Jesus' peace is what he gives us instead of worry. You know, we see in this next verse, uh, you know, we talk about him making peace for us. He made peace for us in verse 15, the social healing, peace to recon reconciliation by his death. We see that this is a peace that came through killing. This is what the passage says. He says that he killed hostility. It says here, and it, it kind of, it, it, it kind of, flies in the face of what we like to think of when we think of peace. This is in at first glance when we see that peace came through a killing, we look at this and go, that's an oxymoron. How can root hostility usher in peace? Doesn't it doesn't make sense to us. But we need look no further than the cross of Christ to understand this. You see, the killing of Jesus on a cross is what brought us peace. And we see that in this verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says here, he made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus became sin for us. This is hostile. This is brutal. We look at this and we, re we recognize how unfair it is. So when Paul is talking to them about the killing of hostility in order to usher in peace, he's recognizing, recognizing and seeing that peace could only be ushered in through the killing of Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, in the first two verses, it's in verses 19 and 20, these first two of this little passage I'm going to read to you, it says, for in him all in speaking of Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peace came by a bloody cross. In the passage, I'm not going to read the whole thing for you, but I want you to mark it down. I want you to go back and look at this passage in Colossians 1. Because going on, um, if we go into the, we look at this passage and we walk into Colossians 2, starting in verse 13, he talks in there about the forgiveness of our trespasses, the canceling of the record of our debt being brought about by, by the fact that it got nailed to a cross. Jesus was nailed to a cross in order for the rulers and the authorities to be disarmed. He triumphed over sin and death by being nailed to a cross. We were hostile, it says, in mind, and God nailed our debt to the cross in the form of Jesus. You see, hostility was killed by Jesus giving his life. 
and in his life, in the giving of his life, he made peace for us. He made peace. See, the undercurrent of this is that there is a war for freedom. Peace could only be won when Jesus declared war on sin. I'm always struck by this because for the most part, we live in peaceful times. Uh, we have not lived out war in our neighborhoods. And so it seems like such a distant thing to be in this place of war. And yet it was a battle, a battle to the death that Jesus fought in order to win our freedom, in order to win our peace. You know, Brene Brown, Dr. Brene Brown, social science guru that we hear in TED Talks, she talks about her own journey of understanding why Christ had to die to secure our reconciliation to God and all the research that she has done on forgiveness and shame. It led her back. She says it led her back to church. It led her back to understanding Christ in her life. And she explains that even on a social science level, for forgiveness to be real, something has to die. The price for our peace, our healing, our safety was established through the hostile death that Christ had to suffer on our behalf. She goes on and explains as she explains her own return to Christ and the understanding of the redemption needed in her own life. She explains that every time you and I offer forgiveness to another person, something in us has to die. My need to be right has to die. My need to look smart has to die. My need to have the last word has to die. My need for power has to die. My need for control has to die. You see, peace and hostility cannot coexist. You can't have peace with a little hostility on the side. And you cannot display hostility and hope for a, help, uh, a peaceful outcome. If I want peace, hostility has to die. If I want forgiveness to be real, something in me has to die in order for that forgiveness to be real. And that principle is lived out in the death that Jesus died on our behalf. The forgiveness is real. It's so real that Jesus died for it. Jesus bore this out in his life and his death. And in this passage here that we're looking at in Ephesians, it says that God through one body, one man, Jesus, on a cross, killed the hostility. And you see, today, as we look at this passage of scripture, I need to gauge my leader impact as a peacemaker through the lens of this example that I see in the scripture. And I have to ask myself the question, where does hostility show up in my life? Krista, where does hostility show up? Hostility shows up in my inconsistency. It shows up in my insecurity. It shows up in my pride. It shows up in my, in my unforgiveness. And the challenge that we have out of this passage of scripture, Paul is showing us here, is we cannot put up with this garbage in our lives. You want peace? You got to guard it. 
You got to fight for it. You got to insist on it by being willing to die for it. And, you know, we glibly talk about the hills that we would or would not die on. You know, we, we talk about, oh, that's a hill I would die on or, oh, that's a hill I won't die on. And we, we talk about that so often. But I want you to really think about that statement, the hill that you would die on. Where did it come from? And it struck me, I don't know, this past year I was thinking about this and I don't know, I had a grand revelation in my own mind, who knows. I just, I don't even know where it came from or if it's even real, but this is a picture that I have. You see, we use that term because 2000 years ago, Jesus did die on the hill. He did die on a hill. And you see, peace was so important to him that he died on the hill for it. And that is the example that we are seeing in the scripture here. You see, the question we have to ask ourselves as leaders is, is the pursuit of peace a value that drives your leadership? Is it a hill that you would die on? In the times that we are living in, this really becomes poignant for us. You see, we are seeing in this passage that Jesus is our peace. We are seeing that he made peace through his death on a cross. But the last piece that I want you to see is that he preached peace. This is about effective communication through the avenue of safety and belonging. This idea of preaching in the original, it has the idea of conveying, to make known, to understand what it is that's being said here. This is a preach with action. You know, we can say a lot of things, but what we see happening in this passage of scripture is a, is a saying that has a doing with it. And I want you to picture Jesus here communicating this piece through the act of building a house. And that's the picture that Paul is giving us in this passage of scripture, this building that Jesus is a cornerstone and we are all being built up into a dwelling place. So Paul is explaining here that we are members of the household of God and that this house is built on a foundation of people who stayed the course, people who killed hostility through sacrifice. These prophets and apostles were beaten and stoned and harassed and vilified, and yet they preached peace through a building up. This is a call to action. And I want to read you a quote from our friend uh, C.S. Lewis, who really puts a, who paints a beautiful picture for us here. He says this, imagine Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. But perhaps, at first perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and he's stopping the leaks in the roof so, and so on. And you know that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and, does not seem to, and it does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. 
but he's building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. You see, the preaching of peace is like living in a construction zone. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about this. And starting in verse 1, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As you know, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We see in here, preach the word, do the work of an evangelist, reprove, rebuke, exhort. We look at those things and we don't think, those things don't say, oh, hold hands, sing kumbaya, and end, you know, with a round of peace. Peace comes through the preaching of the word. Peace comes through the blood that was shed for us. Peace is hard won. It is not something that we just get to have because we don't say anything and we sit in the corner and look all nice and fold our hands pretty and drink tea. Peace comes when we roll up our sleeves and we say, we are going to do battle. We are going to die on this hill because this is so important to us. The preaching of the message that Jesus is our peace is not a path of least resistance. It is a path ripe with hostility. And we look at that and it's counterintuitive for us. And yet we see in this passage of scripture that this is what we're called to. When I talked with you last week about this opening up of the eyes of your heart being a call to personal revival, when we read this passage of scripture, this is a call for us to stand up. It is a call for us to speak the truth about who Jesus is. It is a call to not be the most popular person in the room. It is a call to die on the hill for the peace that was brought by Jesus himself. This is a house to which you belong. And it is a house with a cornerstone, a cornerstone who is Jesus Christ, where peace is preached. It is a house that has a rock solid foundation that is Jesus Christ himself. You see, he laid it all down so that you could belong. He laid it all down so that the dividing wall of hostility would fall. He laid it all down so that you and I would no longer be strangers and outcasts and less than anybody else. He laid it all down so that we would be a dwelling place for God, enabled by the Spirit of God. Leaders, we are called to foster a culture of belonging. And we are called to seek peace. Here we have it. The last thing I want to leave you with is this. All that we call human history, 
And these words sum up where we are living right now. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empire, slavery. Everything that we are seeing in our, in our society right now, that what we are being bombarded with in our culture now, this is a long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God with which he will be happy. I think there's so much truth in this because we, I think what we're seeing in this passage of scripture is a reminder that peace comes, true peace comes through Jesus Christ. It's a reminder to us that leaders that we can't just decide that we're going to create a culture of peace and just be nice to people and it's all going to be good. It's deeper, longer, and wider than that. True peace comes through knowing Jesus. True peace comes through a change in our hearts brought on by the infilling of God's spirit within us. True peace comes when we are the dwelling place of God himself, when Jesus is our cornerstone. True peace comes when we kill hostility, when it means so much to us that it's not just something on our Instagram feed, but it is something that we do and are every day that we live and breathe. This word that we have from Paul in here, there's a word for those early believers because of the world that they lived in. And it is a word for us today because it is the world that we live in. Humanity in 2,000 years has not changed. And God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the cornerstone. He is our peace. And I pray that God will encourage you as we've looked into the word of God today. So I want to thank you for being here with us. So I'm going to invite Ann to come back and talk, um, talk with me a little bit now about what we what we've just looked through. Woo! Everybody out, this is that is fire, Krista. Oh my word! You know, I, I thought how amazing it was that uh, that we landed today in this passage of scripture, and and you know, we had talked about doing um, some stuff in the fall with leverage around this idea of understanding culture. And God had taken me to that passage of scripture, uh, you know, long before we've seen this upheaval in our culture uh, in the last few weeks, God had taken me here and it's like, we need to learn how to live as reconciled believers in Christ. We are one man in him. And we need to die on this hill. We need to die on this hill. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, um, yeah, we're just seeing the chat come in. Yes, we are one. Amen. It's like, so yes, we're all in agreement with that. Uh, there were a couple of questions just around resources that you quoted. So Brene Brown's book and C.S. Lewis, do you know what books those are? Off the top? So we will make sure that this book gets put um, into the participant notes. Daniel Coyle, Culture Belonging is a powerful book. We've actually have taught out of this book at other leverage events. Uh, just the idea of belonging cues, creating safety. But what I want you to understand as we look at some of this stuff is that the resource is great because it backs up what we know to be true out of the word of God. So the word of God is our number one resource. When we see social science backing up what we already see in the word of God, it should blow our minds. 
and affirm us in our faith. And I, that's what I really want you to see from looking at this. Um, yes, C.S. Lewis, I quoted from Mere Christianity. Both the quotes were from Mere Christianity. And Brene Brown, that would be from um, her, her, probably her most famous of all her books, which is Dare, Dare, uh, Daring Greatly. Uh, so we'll make sure that we let you know about those resources. When I, when I talk about her faith journey, I just, I found that in a YouTube video and I looked at that a number of times because it's just amazing how the, all of the research that she has done led her, she says, led me back to church, led me back to understanding my need of Jesus in my life and my need of real forgiveness. And I think that's a beautiful testimony to what God will do, even through social science, bringing somebody back to understanding their need of, you know, you study shame and forgiveness. You study insecurity and you study identity and it brings you back to your creator. Amazing. Mind blown. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one question here. How do you cultivate family uh, in this online uh, situation that we have going on, whether it's with your team or, you know, there's some, there's so many different people that are on today that lead various ministries and nonprofits and all that kind of stuff. So the, the question is, how do you continue you know, to cultivate this family feel that you mentioned? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, even taking our cues from the scripture, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, Christ, uh, you know, how he, he is our peace. He made peace and he preached peace. So there's the idea of, and the belonging to thing, you got to say it, you are important to me. You bring so much to this team. I love you. Couldn't do this without you. You're amazing. It's like a little bit of what we talked about last week, giving credit where credit's due. That's part of it. I think you need to get creative and get your credit card out and you need to send some things to your team. You need to be, you need to be kind to them. You need to send them a basket of goodies. You need to stop by and take them some cookies that you promised that you baked with a mask on and your rubber gloves. Uh, you need to do things for your team. You need to know their love languages. For some of them, it's going to be going for a walk. For some of them, it's going to be taking a um, bubble bath by uh, and, and telling them that you love them. But you need to create that, that feeling where you would do anything for them. That they are, and, and they need to know that you have their back. That's one of the big things that we talk about family. You know, we always talk about even if it's a dysfunctional family, family has your back. You know, you even watch that comedy on television, Modern Family. They're all a little bit on the wrong side of crazy. But at the end of the day, the way they've been created, the, those characters have been created, they all have each other's back at the end of the day. That's what makes them a family. And I think that's huge. Uh, and we're not good at that. If we're insecure leaders, we're not good at that. Because we're always vying to make sure that we come out on top. And you can't do that if you're going to create family. I think the uh, the other part that we've spoken about um, many times is that it's it's not like sometimes we anticipate or we expect this to be reciprocal, where yeah. it's not necessarily that it's you as a leader pouring out 
into the team. It's, I mentioned in the chat, it was like a Paul and Timothy. I know Paul's heart was like blessed by seeing Timothy flourish, but he was pouring into the Timothy and the other leaders too under his care, not to get something back in return. His joy was simply seeing them flourish. And so I see you do that really well, Krista, with your team. You're just giving out. You're not even expecting anything, you know, from them in return as family. It's kind of like a parent, like you're giving totally. out. Right. Yeah. And you're just keep on selflessly pouring out, just, you know, and going, you know, my love is the love back yeah. is really my, is my joy. I, I don't well, that's it. well, as soon as you started talking, that's exactly what I thought. This is like mama bear with her cubs. She's yeah. not expecting, she's not expecting anything. In fact, you know, you think about your kids sometimes what you get back in return isn't so hot. Yeah. Uh, but you but you do it anyway because that's that's your job and that's the mantle of leadership you know we talk about leaders 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 we need leaders it is it is the hardest job in the world to be an effective sacrificial leader and we have you know here we have Jesus we have this example and I think in our humanity we have such a hard time reconciling the idea that peace and hostility one ushers in the other. It's it's that whole, when I was preparing this, I thought about, you know, the, the wars that have been fought for our freedom, right? We want everybody to be free to do whatever they want to do. But we, we secure that with a battle. It, 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 it doesn't seem right. And yet it, it, we, it's, it's what we know to be true. And that's, I think, this whole idea of forgiveness coming through something needing to die, reconciliation coming through something needing to die. It's because of sin that we have this disconnect and we can't just all hold hands, sing kumbaya and think it's going to be okay. It's a battle. And uh, God waged war. When he died on a cross, he waged war on our behalf. That makes me cry. Well, I know your words have impacted all of us. They're definitely spirit breathed and they are really penetrating all of our hearts and our minds as we have sat under your teaching. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, thank you, Leverage Tribe, for tuning in. We're going to have this material online because I think it's going to bless people beyond what we have even imagined. This is an incredible teaching. So thank you, Krista. Yeah, well, it's been great, great to be here. I'd like to say one more thing, everybody. If this is something you think we should continue, um, we would love to hear from you. We're, we're forging new waters, just like you are, trying to figure out how we can be um, salt and light, how we can encourage, and you know, are the values that we have here with our leverage, we'll call it our leverage family, uh, is that we want to equip you, we want to inspire you, and we want to connect you. So if you think that this is a valuable resource and you'd like to see more of this developed, uh, we want to hear and know that from you because we want to serve you. We want to serve you well, uh, and we want to serve you in a way that's going to propel you to greater heights in the leadership that God has called you to. There is no greater time in your life to get out of bed in the morning and go, God, what do you have for me today? I'm going to serve you today with everything I've got. That is our prayer for you. So thank you for joining us here. We love you. And we want to be here with you, serving Jesus with you. So please let us know how you're, what you're thinking. So thank you, Anne, for everything you've done to help make this work. And we will see everyone next time. <laughs>